This program is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you like what you hear and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm. You're listening to Panel Borders on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB in London. I'm Alex Fitch, and this is Resonance's monthly show about comic books, graphic novels, and sequential art. In today's program, I'm talking to Neil Max Emanuel, a former motion graphics creator for Time Team, who's illustrated The Middle Ages, a graphic history for icon books for readers young and old. This terrific cartoon rendering of the Middle Ages retells a number of moments from history in a style that mixes humour, pathos and educational moments that slip under the reader's nose while they're enjoying this rich tapestry of the past. My chat with Neil was recorded on Zoom, so you'll have to forgive the compression of this recording, but I hope Neil's enthusiasm for the subject will make up for this. Well, so to introduce listeners to your work, I guess you kind of found fame as an illustrator working on the Time Team TV show. So basically, was that illustrations that were shown on screen to bring kind of greater information to the viewer about what was going on in the show? Well, it's quite interesting. So uh, when you say illustrator, the kind of work that I did for Time Team was motion graphics. I was their motion graphics designer and I, I worked with the, the 3D animator as well. We worked mm-hmm. as a team to, to actually bring alive a lot of the, the descriptions of what was going on. Or, or when you go to a, I don't know if you've been to an archaeological dig before or done, uh, seen that kind of thing. When you see a trench, it's just brown mud. And sometimes, on, especially when you film it, you, you can't actually see what's going on. <laughs> it just looks like a brown mess. So we, we, you know, we do things like we reconstruct, build, highlight a lot of the what, what went on. And then uh, Victor, who was the, he was the time team illustrator. He would be the person that would be doing all the historical, kind of bring to life a lot of the human aspect to it. You know, what did people look like? How were they dressed? Um, and maybe, he could, you know, it's, it's he, I mean, he kind of had one of the best jobs, really, because he'd just go out into the field. Sometimes we'd be like, where's Victor gone? <laughs> where's Victor? And he'd be wandering around, sitting down on a little stool, with his uh, watercolor paper and stuff, watercolors, and he'd be uh, drawing these in, like little scenes and people being impaled or all sorts of kind of fun stuff for illustrators to illustrate. So he did that. Occasionally, I get I get to use my art skills with my graphics, and that that's kind of what. Towards the end of my time at Time Team, I was I was a little bit frustrated with on a personal level that I want to be using my art skills a little bit more. I want to be doing more of what Victor does rather than what, you know, more the meat and potatoes kind of graphics. So that's when, when I went freelance, I geared my motion graphics toward uh, trying to create the illustrated assets. And so I would then go on and, and do that in various different jobs. And in, in fact, one of the first few jobs that I did uh, going freelance in about 2010 was, you know, I did get a good chance to do like Victor type work for historical documentaries. Oh, cool. Because in terms of your first work in print, you illustrated a children's book in 2015 on uh, Saxon gold. So I guess yeah. that starts to do a bit of kind of like a meaty project with a number of illustrations that were historically based. It's called um, 
Saxon gold. Hunting for history was um, the kind of the, the the series that it was it was working towards. And yeah, it, it was a great opportunity. And, and the thing that Time Team did give me was a lot of connection between historical people who were making content. So Jenny Butterworth was uh, she was a, a digger actually on Time Team for quite a long period of time in the early noughties. And, you know, she's a, a doctor in her own right. She's got like um, her academic credentials and stuff going on. But she um, was working for West Midlands History. And because I, she, they said, oh, we, West Midlands History said, oh, we'd like to do a children's book uh, about the, um, the hoard uh, that was found in Staffordshire, which was like, it's one of the biggest sort of historical Anglo-Saxon finds to date in the country it was a hoard that was just kind of found in a, in a field by these i think there was two metal detectorists mm. and a uh, farm owner and um yeah it's just like finding like treasure really but it was i think it was a hoard of lots of gold and precious gems that were stored in a vessel that got plowed into the fields the vessel broke and it just got distributed and that's where the metal detectorists kind of came in so anyway long story cut short uh, the book that I was asked to, to illustrate was edited by Jenny. Uh, she, so she, she said, oh, you know, who do I know who could do something like that? She knew I was interested in that kind of thing. And so that's what happened. I ended up making a, a nice children's book telling kind of the story of all the people that are involved in the archaeological or historical process, right from finding it all the way through to go, it going to the museum. And what we also tried to do was tell uh, a story underneath so one half of the story is kind of that, you know, you know, who does what and what they found. And it's quite infographic in a way. Mm. And then underneath, we've got uh, like a little bit of a like a fantasy story about one of the Mercian kings who defeated five other kings. You know, it's almost like, you know, dreaming into who owned this or where did this like treasure hoard come from? You know, so it's a bit more. It's quite fun and fanciful. A gateway drug to Lord of the Rings, perhaps. For people. <laughs> I don't know. The young ones. <laughs> it is geared towards young people so they can know more about history. And that's the whole thing about Time Team. One of the, the great things when I was working with the team was that I would be speaking to a lot of archaeologists who'd be saying, yeah, when I was growing up in the 90s, I got into archaeology because I used to watch Time Team on telly at five o'clock on Sunday evening and I was like well you know that set people and then they, they get to work on the show and so kind of it's almost like you know you know it's, it's me working with Mike Mignola or something <laughs> like you know for them it's like wow we've kind of I've made it made it onto Time Team. Nice so I mean I guess all of your projects working on Time Team, Saxon Gold and now the Middle Ages book show not only an interest in illustration but an interest in illustrating images from the past as an educational tool. Where did those two interests in your life come from? A lot of it, if I'm honest, is happenstance. <laughs> sometimes you sometimes you just end up on a path. Uh, I mean, like, so when I was growing up, I think I, I wasn't into history at all. I, I was into drawing and, and, and cartoons and animation. And I liked all those kind of things. I liked excitement and stuff which was, you know, you know, fanciful, you know, like like Lord of the Rings, yeah, that kind of stuff. You find out as you get older, a, a lot of the stories that you like have these uh, steeped in in historical uh, material as well, and as uh, 
anyone who likes uh, Game of Thrones would probably know that, you know, the, the book borrows a lot from British uh, history. I, and I'll hold my hands up. I, I'm still no expert. I, I learn stuff, but then I, I forget stuff as well, you know, because, you, you know, it, it's, it's, I find it super interesting, but it's very vicarious. It's kind of through osmosis. Um, and my challenge is, like every design challenge that I, I seem to get is you get a problem, uh, a challenge, a puzzle to fix, you know, uh, we need to do this thing. And then the experts come along and they provide me with the information because they're the best people to give me the, the content. And then I need to kind of figure out a way to effectively uh, tell that story or answer that, figure out the puzzle uh, and present it in a way that is uh, understandable to my, the best of my abilities, you know? Mm. So, so when I say happenstance, just to <laughs> kind of come back to your question, I, I got some opportunities to work in tech TV when I was younger. And one of my first jobs, the, the people that I worked for, they used to work for Time Team. They were the original graphics people. And then I ended up getting a job on Time Team. And then after that, people that used, directors who used to work on Time Team asked me to do graphics. So I did, like, I was, like I was explaining with the Saxon Gold, you know, it's kind of the same kind of thing. It's because I knew someone from before that was doing a new project that needed someone who could do something that I could do. So, and that's how I kind of went along. And then having a, a certain kind of body of work, which is historical in nature, then people see see you and like icon books. It's like, do do who does medieval artwork? And we we're doing a book. We need someone who draws in that kind of style. So it was for me. I'm like, yeah, because it's like it, it gets me the opportunity to do something that's moving even closer to my personal interest, which is comics. Mm. Well, I was going to ask about that because you uh, mentioned Mike Mignola earlier. So presumably you're a comic book fan. Has has that always been the case? And in a way with this project, are you now kind of scratching a niche that you are kind of working on a quasi graphic novel? Yeah, uh, it's kind of exactly that. <laughs> I, I, I think my early, my dad used to say to me, Neil, you need to read more. You need to read more. What about reading the paper? <laughs> what about reading the, the my, my dad used to read the paper when he was at the at cleaning his teeth he'd be there reading the paper cleaning his teeth uh he does what most people now do like have uh, youtube like videos they want to clean the teeth what do you for him it was the paper so but you know so he always read he didn't read books he read newspapers so he was reading and i thought that i didn't read because everyone told me that i don't read books and i wasn't interested in reading books because they were just, for me, words, and I, I didn't really enjoy the experience. And I'm talking when I was really, you know, like I, when I was like seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. So a lot of people around me were starting to read books and get into them. But what I did do was I read comics, and comics weren't considered reading. Mm -hmm. And I read, shared loads of comics. I read, or, you know, I, I loved the, the Dino, I loved the Dandy, I loved the Whoopi, and Wow, and Wizard, and Chips, and the Beezer, and the Topper. And I, I used to get a whole, you know, and, and you know, I ended up with a whole long, uh, big stack of them. And I, I would copy the pictures as well, like, you know, because I'd like some of the characters and make, you know, redraw the characters. So for me, like, that was my early, early reading, really. So yeah. I, I did actually read them. I just, I just read a different kind of thing that most people considered childish. To be fair, maybe, you know, those comics were geared towards children. 
And they were of some of them were as they were written, they were of a time which, you know, looking back, I think the the Bino was a little bit sexist. Some of the characters, you know, it was very I think it was even even further back in the the writers of it, I think, were older and then they were kind of like passing on their sort of where they were at with uh, issues of gender and sexism and stuff and it was kind of getting relayed to me as well as a young child so it's kind of interesting things about all of that gestalt all of that stuff but when I got a little bit older into uh, into my sort of teens I started to read things more like Viz and Oink and so it was always and then I got it you know then the comic shop opened up in in Harrow where I used to live called Calamity Comics and it was uh, like because then you could just get access to proper comics and inverted commas you know like uh, the American kind of uh, Marvel DC but uh, weirdly enough uh, I was always interested in a little bit in the more in the independence anyway because I think you found more interesting stories mm-hmm. um, and I did actually start reading like fantasy books then you know so like uh, Michael Moorcock's Elric and then uh, I tried to find the Michael Moorcock comic versions mm. which happened to be penned by Mike Mignola and so I, then I go to like because uh, you didn't have the internet wasn't quite up then uh, as a way to find material or you, there was no eBay there was no Amazon you can easily buy uh, comics and old comics so mm. yeah it was like going to there was a great place in East Barnet where you could buy comics uh, they had a, a big backlog and yeah there was walk among us in richmond mm. and so i go to all these different places and try to see if i could get the back issues of these michael moorcock based comics and I, I never quite got to my dream of getting all of them but i've still got a lot of the early ones which i've, I've got somewhere there <laughs> in the back behind me yeah and you know and and i started getting into comics that were like yosaji yojimbo Stan Saki and and I'd start finding like artists that I just really like and and I would look at the pictures as well so for example with with Mike Mignola what I liked about him is he was doing something at the time very very different from what everyone else was doing so I found you know Todd McFarlane and there was a lot of like these kind of very flashy highly rendered quite garish colored kind of artwork and I I didn't like it and also the distortions of the bodies uh, and the overly like sexualizations of the, how the women were portrayed and the men kind of looking really like muscular that really that's kind of turned me off a bit I was just like I, I just don't like that and then Mike Mignola you look at his work and it's it's got this kind of abstracted it's a bit more minimalist and he's using his blacks really densely to create depth and solidity to the to, and structure to the image and so I'd be looking at his artwork and just kind of really finding I'm getting a lot just like by literally looking at his artwork and it really so I've I've always taken that I think forwards Mm. with me and by the time I got to uh, like starting to go to art school and stuff like that where where I was going to college comics weren't really still considered a thing to do it's not, not serious so whilst I was drawing lots of kind of comic based things personally uh it, I felt like it was it was a little bit beaten out of me and so there was this like undertone I you know we're doing fine art here and uh we should be illustrating like you and you glow and and I would say I wouldn't re- don't regret that because then you start learning a craft and you actually um that's where my I think my um 
before I'd relied a lot on my own skills um, and just stuff that I'd brewed uh, just by looking and practicing. But mm. I think I started to learn at, at my art college where we did fine art courses. Mm. That's where I, I learned a bit more of the actual craft of being able to draw and illustrate. Uh, so I can, kind of wouldn't get that, give that up, but I would say that um, at the same time, there wasn't enough encouragement for the medium of comics. It was, you know, now, now you and I know that comics can be used in almost any application and it's a powerful, it's an extra tool in, in the toolbox of yeah. creating content. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you know, I imagine that uh, younger people today, when they go to art school, if they say, you know, I'd like to break into comics, it's not s something that would necessarily be discouraged because there are a number of British publishers who are now doing graphic novels, not to mention, you know, Icon with their graphic guides. But I suppose yes. when you were there, if you said that, people would just think of the Beano and the Dandy and therefore, how are you going to make a career doing that? But it, it, it's interesting that your interest in British comics, your interest in certain American comics like uh, Mike Magnola's, and also your background in having to do all sorts of visual responses to projects, whether it's Time Team or the children's book or the new one, I guess has given you a certain amount of flexibility in terms of how you render images uh, for a project. Because in Middle Ages, a graphic history, it's interesting that you kind of have three different styles that you use on the page. For most of the illustrations, you're adopting a kind of pseudo woodblock style to kind of mimic the kind of imagery that you might expect comes from the Middle Ages. Then occasionally you'll do more sort of slapstick panels in stick figures. And then also when you're drawing someone from the present, a historian or an academic, and actually, you know, want to render them as a recognisable human being, you've got a more sort of naturalistic style. So it's interesting that even with this just one project, you're bringing like three different hats to the process. Yeah, that's well observed. I'm glad that came across, to be honest. The job, as it was laid out, as we discussed with Eleanor and Kira, who's my lovely editor on this from Icon, was originally we had the idea of maybe having three styles going through the book. And it would be sort of speaking to the three period, main periods of the medieval, so that there's like early, uh, high and late. So there's we've got these three progressions and maybe we can gear the artwork to be a little bit more earlier in style, uh, high sort of the middle period of the mid Middle Ages, and then the sort of later, more bit more kind of embellished. And so the interesting uh, thing about that was it, it wasn't so practical, I think, for me just to kind of deal with everything else that I had to deal with with the book, to be able to kind of implement that, to juggle those three styles specifically was quite, I think it was hard enough for me just to kind of get a consistency of style in the first place. And that would just throw me out a little bit. What I discovered was actually going through the book, through developing the um, material and going through it, that my skill level through practice of doing that specific kind of artwork progressed mm. in a parallel process <laughs> or parallel. So it kind of did that just by happenstance, by, you know, serendipity anyway, you know. So uh, some of my later pictures, I kind of uh, just kind of felt like I, I was embellishing more and I was doing, being a bit more flourishing. 
Um, but you're right to sort of point out that um, there are periods where I I stop being woodcutty and I start going into stick figure kind of, but cartoon stick figure. And I think it's because um, uh, it felt right for those kinds of um, pages. Uh, it felt like it broke it up a little bit. Um, it was personally uh, nice for me to be able to maybe deviate a little bit as well and express my more kind of innate, you know, so it's like Tom Tom Gould, you know, Tom Gould's work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's something really powerful about Tom Gould's artwork um, and the simplicity of his line work. And there are many artists who do that level of illustration um, and it's quite diagrammatic. And so when you're explaining things, sometimes it's nice to be a bit to mix it up a bit so you can have a have maybe one picture we've got where we've got a, like a sultan who's kind of um, throwing a, a basketball. So we've got some anachronistic stuff going on, but the basketball's actually um, a dead person because <laughs> they're throwing they're trying to um, gain access to uh, another place um, and they're it was almost like chemical warfare they're throwing in a diseased person so that it infects everyone and kills them so uh so that the people that i depict being thrown end up being more kind of simplistic stick figures and i can make it a little bit more kind of um light lighter with something that's quite serious i mean if you think about a lot of the material that we're dealing with um it's you know at the time if you were in that situation kind of like now with with afghanistan it's kind of a a really horrific situation where people being faced with, um, you know, their world's been turned upside down and, and maybe their lives are threatened. Um, so it's it's all that stuff going on in the medieval period. It's really interesting, you know, like that's why we need to know about the past so we can uh, understand the present and going forwards into the future. Mm. Yeah, so uh, I think it's kind of... Um, uh, it makes it more palatable and it's like more accessible for people. Uh, sometimes if the pictures um, can, uh, they don't always have to be so heavy and, and, and depressing. They can still tell a story without, um, you know, you're, 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 it's like I was saying before, you're using tools appropriately. So for me, it just sometimes felt this one would make sense uh, if we have a, st a stick person. It might actually soften the, the edge of actually what's happening and make it more accessible. There are other times where I don't want to do that. Maybe I do want to. Um, there, there's some scenes in there where um, you see that there's, um, uh, how do I put it um, nicely um, without sounding too gratuitous? Well, there, there's some, some sexual scenes in there. Um, I don't know if you caught any of those. Um, there's there's a, a, a cat licking its bum yes yeah, yeah, yeah. it's the devil <laughs> and then there's there's people uh kind of um uh engaging in um sex um and so but it was if i don't show that i feel like well no i'm i'm doing what i'm doing now i'm kind of self-censoring mm. and i think it's good to kind of it, the, the book uh maybe um some people think it's a children's book because it's got pictures in, you know, it's oh, a history book with pictures must be for kids. <laughs> and I've had uh, like friends say, oh, um, can my can I get this for my uh, son or daughter? And I'm like, mm, you can. Well, it depends on your age. <laughs>
Yeah, I mean, like you know, I, I think it's I think it's fine for uh, for for most people, but like you just gotta you just gotta warn people, you know, like okay, there are a couple of pages where you're, you're going to see some genitalia, mm. but cartoony genitalia, <laughs> cartoony genitalia, exactly, exactly. Well, exactly. That's the that's why it's accessible. That's why it's uh, it's fun to kind of you know see the um, pictures. Yeah, and draw the well, for me it's fun to draw the pictures. I I get to draw you know um, half naked men uh, in their harems with their, the the women around them and you know things like that. It kind of it's just interesting to kind of draw that kind of stuff. And it's it should be I hope interesting for people just to kind of see you know what that might have looked like in a in a kind of medieval style. Mm. I mean, did Icon give you any idea of what their kind of minimum target age is i mean i'd imagine that this would be suitable i don't know 12 13 and up yeah maybe you not. put me on the spot so yes right. they did but i <laughs> i can't remember because i i i sort of i worked over this over a long period so uh i think just throughout the throughout the journey it kind of that that um important piece of the puzzle dropped out of my head but to be honest like uh, everything that I was drawing, I'm, I knew would be be fine. And there's always the buffer of the editor to kind of come in and say, you know what, that's not appropriate. But that didn't really happen. Uh, I think the only thing that I I I, I drew something um, like a planet coming out of someone's bum. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is the only thing that changed. But that changed for different reasons, not because of my uh, drawing a bum. <laughs> it was it's like being creative it, it, there was there were reasons why you might want to do something like that it's kind of um yeah it, it's just um it, you, you also you try ideas out as well um you've got to sometimes you've got to be bold uh, you've got to as you say break a few eggs uh still keep your sensibilities intact and your integrity but um mm. sometimes you've got to just uh, what with this kind of like, what, what about this weird idea mm. um otherwise you just end up being like being self-censored and you know it just it all lands really flat yeah but I, I mean i suppose purely in terms of it being uh, an educational resource um it would be useful for uh teenagers who are doing some aspect of uh, medieval times for gcse and equally um oh, yeah. useful for any adult who like you say is interested in a medieval style show like game of thrones to actually find out more about the real history if it's something that you know they don't really remember from school or or wasn't actually taught in a way that was dare i say it engaging you know oh my god it's like um i think this book is uh if i don't say so myself flipping useful yeah. <laughs> and interesting and fun it's accessible that's the thing uh eleanor wanted to make this book accessible it's basically got the the first year content of her of what she teaches her students it's like she said it's like everything i want them to know starting off and if everything you want to know starting off for a for a degree course um in you know in history like world like you know world history that uh, that kind of period of the medieval um, that's going to be supremely accessible and useful for, for younger people uh, and for older people. It's, it's for everyone. Everyone can benefit from knowing about the medieval period because it just, it's also a myth buster because you kind of like see so many portrayals of the medieval period in films. And films are like not always like how, you know, they, they're, they're also anachronistic uh, just in, in terms of, especially if you go back in history, they, they won't, they'll, they'll be very like, 
um, maybe perhaps more patriarchal than certain areas were patriarchal and uh, they might be more racist. Uh, and, you know, even if there was some level of um, ethnicity, they, you know, they get like a white actor to play a, a black. Do you see what I'm saying? There, there's kind of mm. a lot of preconceived notions floating around that have been perpetuated by um, more contemporary uh, much like late 20th century preconceived notions. So really, it gives us it gives everyone a chance to to have a bit of a, a sort of an appraisal, uh, mm. and it's super understandable. You know, there's it's very bite sized. You can put it down, pick it up. I don't know how you read it, whether you, whether you kind of read it all the way through from start to finish, or whether you just kind of put it down. You know, came back to it. I mean, that that's that's how I um kind of read this type of stuff from from icon i sort of read it for a little bit put it down you know so that because they have obviously they've got other great books about lots of really interesting topics the medieval period is is um uh so close to us really <laughs> uh i think it really did shape uh our our, our civilization yeah um especially well, in in the west in 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 europe and and um uh, that you know, yeah. I mean, I, I, I was uh, going to. I mean, I was going to mention that you know, right at the end, you know, just to kind of hammer that point home in how some of the ghastliness of the medieval period is still with us today. You know, you have drawings of W. Bush and Trump in their kind yes. of medievalism in a way. You know. Yeah, yeah. That, well, that, that was that's an important page. Yes, yeah. I think that that's. Uh, when I uh, finished the book, uh, Trump was still in power. So um, I, I guess I was, um, uh, I'm glad that um, we we were able to kind of have that page and, and draw some parallels. Um, like I say, history is not always, um, you know, nice. Sometimes there's dark periods and, and you've got to acknowledge them. And, um, you know, there are still problematic things about today that were problematic back then and yeah and and patterns repeat and we could draw that like that parallel in that page uh, and i think you know that was a nice page that's that's where it was a really nice like how do we end you know how do you end a book how do you end a book it's always uh or how do you end a story it's super important to leave people with something to kind of linger and that's why i think that, think we did it with that there was a there was a lot going on there um it, in some of my depictions I, I put smoke in there so i don't know if you remember i, I think um for a, a, a cynical pr um move that uh, donald trump had protesters cleared away with gas so a, a lot of the illustration there it doesn't i don't specifically say that but i, I put smoke behind him in a medieval sort of style so I could, do you know what I mean? So it's it's yeah. kind of there, it's mm. there. I, I put it there, it's embedded in there because, you know, uh, I guess it's 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 a tiny, tiny little bit of political commentary as well. Um, but mo most of the book, it really is kind of talking about the past and, and, and not the present. But as you say, you know, as I say, I think, um, you know, uh, knowing about the past informs the present mm. and us going forwards, yeah. Could you um, talk a little a bit about your process of collaboration with Eleanor? How did kind of it work from page to page? I mean, obviously, you know, she would be cognizant that she would have to leave a certain amount of space per page for you to put an illustration in. Yeah. That would either be a, a humorous response to the text or a way of kind of boiling down the text on the page 
to a more easily digestible idea? Yeah, I think we um, had a reading. I mean, personally speaking, I really enjoyed working with Eleanor because she was always open to being available to talk about the work. And we did actually work in the planning stages of each page. Um, we went through all the pages together, um, which was nice because I was uh, not worried, but I thought, you know, if I could be with someone who just gives me the material and says, right, go off and understand this. And then, you know, you've got to go and make artwork and I can make things wrong. And then I've got to go back and ask questions. And I think that's quite a, a long winded process for uh, 172 pages. And it wasn't like that at all. It was quite the reverse. She was like really up, up for telling me about, I'd ask her about the block of text, which gives me the, you know, the, the text that's good, the body text that's going to go into the book. Uh, I could ask her questions about that. So I'd find out a little bit more. Um, it's like, oh, okay. So now I understand a little bit more about what I'm meant to draw. It might give me extra ideas that I can actually uh, contribute um, to some of the picture suggestions that she wanted. Um, we could maybe play around with it because I've got the, I, I come with the experience of doing things like scribing. I don't know if you know scribing and event artwork. So that's a job that I've done um, quite a lot of, which is really helped. And I've done storyboarding as well as a job. So just trying to pay the bills, kind of do, um, you know, a lot of different kinds of artwork. So I can bring in some of those um, storytelling uh, skills to my illustration and it can inform and knowing more about um, context about the information is really useful. And so there'd be body text, um, there'd be um, a suggestion of what we should draw. There would be what the, if there's characters involved, there'd be perhaps what they were saying. And again, Eleanor was open to kind of like, maybe we could get them to say it this way or that way instead, because I'm gonna do a, a change, I'm gonna play with the scenario a little bit. We can add in something, or maybe we simplify it, we draw, dial it back. Uh, and so, uh, and you know, through our back and forth, and this is the best thing for me, um, I mean, I call it a design bounce, uh, where you bounce back and forth, being playful with ideas, that we would together come up with a, a, a plan for a page mm. um, that was better than before um, either one of us came separately to the job, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that's that's kind of how we worked. And when we were um, we started the job pre COVID. So it was a little bit harder to do that kind of work because we'd have to specifically go somewhere like the Tate um, Cafe <laughs> and spend all day there or the South Bank, uh, you know, and spend all day there. Um, and then it was more difficult to actually just block out those times. And as soon as COVID hit, uh, it was like, oh, OK, we can just like you and I, we could just kind of zoom and just get on with the job and make more discreet kind of sessions where we could just plan this um, book out. And once I've got once uh, we've done that, I'm really like then it's my then it's in my hands to really just deliver the artwork and just chug through it. And um, yeah. and I, I did kind of pretty much go through in, in blocks from start to finish. Occasionally, I'd be like, uh, I feel like I'm stalling. So let me just jump a few into a few pages that I really want to work on, get them done mm. so I can get myself back excited about drawing again and then jump back. And it just felt like, I don't know, I was getting some uh, quick wins perhaps over there and some, you know, it just helps keep things going. Yeah. So it's enjoyable. I, I really enjoyed the collaborate. I think, I think that's half the battle, really, if, mm. if you're working with uh, an author. 
I mean, in terms of there being a kind of like icon style, um, these books by them and uh, the company that they used to be known as have been around since the 70s with sort of Oscar Zarate's books on Lenin and Marx. I didn't, I, when I started this, um, this uh, book, I didn't, I, I said, oh, I got a book like that. I got a book like the books you do. Uh, it's about Wilhelm Reich. Yeah. <laughs> go, oh, yeah, yeah. Our, our, our oldest subsidiary company did that. It's like, ooh, hello. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the, the kind of uh, the kind of the house style, as it were, of these books, where some pages are a single illustration, some pages are a bit more infographic-y, some pages yeah. are two or three uh, kind of panel gag strips. Was that something that they encouraged, you know, to move backwards and forwards between those forms? Or was it something that, you know, you kind of wanted to do in terms of responding to the text that the kind of illustrations you were doing from page to page varied just so that kind of visual language um, varies through the book as well in order to keep people engaged? Yeah, I, I was given some um, previous icon books, uh, the Marx book and uh, the book about gender, uh, sorry, gender, the queer theory, uh, a graphic history. Um, and they were always by my side, so I could just quickly refer to them just in terms of, um, oh, let me just have a look at someone's page design, uh, just to kind of um, remind myself to keep the pages interesting and not samey. And um, because often there was two bits of body text that were going in per page, on average, you start to get a feeling like there's a set pattern. And if you get stuck in a set pattern, then maybe the page structure might be in a set pattern. So I was constantly trying to fight that. I was really aware that I, I need to kind of keep it. And, that, and that's also partly why it's nice to shake up the artwork. So it's predominantly medieval, but at times we just sort of break out and we do um you know more kind of comic uh comic or sort of tom Gawley type stuff um yeah just to kind of keep it interesting and i i uh i i, I think the that was something oh, no one told me to do that i think that's just something i i wanted to do and try to yeah try to keep it keep it interesting and moving and the the I mean, I, it is a black and white book, apart from the cover, uh, and the covers that illustrated in my in my um, illumination style with watercolors, um, and but the, the internals of the book are a bit more like he's drawing on my um, woodcut style. Um, so because it's all black and white, it gives it a certain kind of look innately, um, and I was like sometimes like just learning from uh, <laughs> my old comic hero, Maya Mignola, I would like put some flat blacks there just to kind of real, really gives, provide some structure and, and play to that. I know a lot of the other artists were, I, I found that some of the artists that I was looking at um, within the icon range, um, they also take advantage of maybe having predominantly black, big bits of black ink on the page um and leveraging that and inverts you know like doing things in city type artwork um there's there's lots of tricks and things you can do um to keep the uh, to make different like uh page illustrations that aren't just samey 
and, and so that's what I mean by if you look at Sin City, it kind of inverts a lot of uh, what's uh, white is black and what's black is white uh, mm -hmm. to great effect. Um, so yeah, it's like oh, I know that. Let me draw on that and use it in in this kind of way. I can use oh, do some blackboard stuff. Uh, it'll mm -hmm. be kind of interesting and um, and and we like we also like to. Um, there's a couple of interesting things um, with um, um, Eleanor has uh, colleagues that we kind of put in there as well. So there's uh, a nice uh, discussion about when the uh, medieval period finishes. Mm -hmm. And so all the people in there, <laughs> we, do, we could have just drawn generic people. But I said, oh, well, you know, why don't we... Uh, uh, why don't we ask your friends, you know, and they were, and, and it's like, yeah, that'd be cool. They, you know, they're like, so we would give like, so I asked, could I get illustration? Uh, can I get pictures of them so that I could reference them? I think it's quite nice to put people who are real people in there because it's not, it's not, um, yeah, it, it just makes it more real world. You're getting real um, historical uh, information in the, in the form of comics. And it's nice to sometimes put a, a nod to the some of the people who are making who are saying these interesting things so that happens a little bit throughout the book mm. well and also it meant that you'd be able to render them render them in a way that's uh kind of authentic and truthful as opposed to a lot of people that you've included from medieval period where presumably there's no visual reference whatsoever and you just have to make yeah. something you know based on the kind of person they were whether they would have a cruel looking face or a kind looking face and you didn't have much more than that to go on most of the time i was able to find a reference of a famous person like a yeah. like a like a pope <laughs> so I, and sometimes you'd find um you know there'd be a picture of a king or something and they look different from when they were older to when they were younger and maybe radically different maybe when they were younger they had a a, a big beard and then by the time they're older they kind of shaved and lost their hair <laughs> so you know like um it, it, no it's just kind of interesting that um it, then i would get to choose how do i or where do i go and which which image would i like to um portray but because it's all passed through my art hand um i can glom together a lot of the stuff and cherry pick what i like and uh and form maybe um my own hybrid kind of portrayal um, of that person, and it could be like because um, I was looking at a lot of this. The, the 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 tricky thing for me was like if you said to me, Neil, go and um, illustrate a 172 page book, um, but all of the all of the stuff that um, but about today, you know, some aspect of today. So if I drew people, I'd draw them in suits, and I, I'd know what the contemporary fashion is. I know what it what it was like even 100 years ago, perhaps. Uh, compared to maybe 500 years ago, a different story, go back even further, then you've got to start really researching. Uh, otherwise, I could be drawing like things out of time and just from pulling, like, pulling it, kind of pulling things out of my head or my, you know what. So, um, and I don't want to do that. I want to I be as accurate as possible unless there's a reason not to be accurate, unless there's a reason to be anachronistic for, for a gag or a joke or, um, and that's different, but like, yeah, I, I had a database of information and uh, I, I would like uh, do things like look up, you know, what do medieval, I, I had like a folder of animals and then, you know, I, I want to know what like rabbits look like. And uh, you'd find illustrations in the marginellas of uh, old illuminations, which were always like super fun because they were very fantastical. You'd have like knights on snails with, you know, 
with lances and things and and um yeah it's just like it's just super fun to see that kind of artwork but then one person draws one bunny different from another person back in time and it's kind of like just taking the bits that i think really work i remember when i was trying to um draw a lion it was like you know i, I had to go and just spend probably about 20 minutes just seeing if i could find image like medieval lion imagery uh storing it somewhere and then coming back to it and just kind of analyzing um in my own head <laughs> so i wasn't like taking notes and stuff and, and doing loads of sketches but like uh, i was kind of like just trying to identify what's what makes something the essence of liony but not lion liony from today because i know what lions look like today how would someone in the past consider a lion to look because they would know less about lions and would be more inaccurate and so it's just trying to get balance all of that stuff and then you just kind of do it and see if it lands well it's I think like it does. The, uh, like the statues of uh, dinosaurs in crystal palace park that were created for great exhibition where bits of the skeletons were missing and they just guessed what the missing yeah. bit might be <laughs> Yeah, but if that's all you've got to do, then that's all you've got to hand. So you're gonna gonna do it. No one, no one's gonna know uh, until later on when people find out more. You know, and that's the great thing about medieval artwork. You might think to yourself, uh, Neil's got a pretty cushy number here because he could draw anything anyway, and no one's gonna really know. And I and I'm speaking to that even like I'm like, well, I know buildings were more portrayed as wonky because perspective wasn't as important to them and maybe some artists just didn't know because they just self-taught um in the monasteries as they're doing their pictures or whatever um but so i know that whenever i do a building i ignore certain parts of perspective or i make things parallel uh and um or I make them go perspective in one direction but don't do that for the base of the house that sits do that as as just a, like a, a a vertical line rather than something going to step. So there are loads of like tricks and things that I would say, you know, advise people to do if they were to draw in a medieval style. It's, it, it, it isn't just about drawing any old way, um, but it's, it's about like choosing your battles and seeing what kind of perhaps mistakes or what kind of styles and things were, when drawing styles, drawing situations that were important to the people at that time. That's quite interesting. I think I, 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 as I, was looking at the, all the references that I was looking at. Um, I was probably doing something similar to what I was doing when I was a child, drawing the Beano books, that I was thinking about what they perhaps were thinking about, the artists, um, maybe why they were drawing something in that way, or why had they drawn that so weirdly? <laughs> oh, that's weird. What's yeah. going on there? And you just start engaging with that. And it's quite mm -hmm. nice to reflect upon that. And then, of course, you draw it and then you let let it all go. And then the next time I talk about it is when I'm talking to someone like you who's, who's interested because, mm. you know, my cats aren't interested in this. <laughs> <laughs> but you are. So that's good. Um, and then finally, I mean, doing this book in 2020, 2021, where, you know, we have all sorts of modern concerns that are also kind of reflected in the other books that Icon have recently published, like the queer book that you mentioned and um, other books that they've published recently on sexuality and feminism and so on. Um, you mentioned earlier uh, that you were aware of the sexism in Beano. You were kind of uh, disturbed 
by the um, sexism in early image comics. Um, and one of the aspects that I really liked about the Middle Ages book is that it spends a few pages here and there talking about members of society who were completely othered at that time. Yes. I mean, it's inevitable that a book like this would talk about uh, anti-Semitism and persecution of the Jews, but it's also nice that you deal with uh, the way that um, LGBT, not that that terminology existed then, but people of the time were treated and the way that they were persecuted and both how they and women were just kind of like excised from history because they were members of society that were beneath contempt as far as the church and the patriarchy uh, were concerned. Yeah, I think that's um, um, one of the great things working with Icon is that you can see it's a company that is it's like pro LGBTQ uh, plus, uh, and also, you know, is for, you know, um, it, it, informing people about lots of different inter well, interesting topics that touch on things like racism and all, all these things are kind of they're there. So that's why one of the reasons I really like Icon. Um, working with Eleanor, you can hear, just speaking to Eleanor, you can hear she's just got a strong feminist voice. Um, even if she's talking about, you know, uh, something that might not be directly related, but you kind of, uh, she's aware and um, it was, but that part of the book, I think is per my personal favorite part of the book um, because I think it's quite, it's quite nice to maybe draw analogies. It's like you say, you know, it's, there's an expectation to talk about anti-Semitism. And I think it's important to kind of, um, you know, show pictures with, that speak to that. Um, but, you know, also to remind people that um, there was a, there's a nice page where, you know, I've got people from the past. So we've got um, lepers and that's kind of maybe directly analog analogous to people with H HIV, you know, they're othered. Uh, there were other then and HIV people um, were, you know, in the 80s, 90s to a larger extent othered. Yeah. So there's they're they're um they're nice parallels to, to, to draw. Um and it's nice to bring that to people just to kind of remind them um you know that uh these things still perpetuate like so Islamophobia is a thing. So you know uh it's kind of like you know, there should be solidarity between anyone who's been othered, you know, so it's it's giving a nod to uh, to the other um, and also dispelling kind of myths about because I think um, uh, talking to Eleanor and I always hate to actually start talking about uh, the specifics of history because, uh, you know, don't quote me or anything, but, uh, you know, um, she's able to myth bust a lot of stuff that you might think like the Catholic Church has the loudest voice and says, you know, sodomy is, you know, wrong, you shouldn't do it. Uh, and sodomy is something different from maybe perhaps what a lot of people think sodomy is today. It's just, um, so, uh, but, you know, regular folk weren't too fussed about it <laughs> on a day-to-day -day basis back then, the regular folk weren't fussed. It was more like the church kind of putting their kind of um, uh, powerful stance and the, using their powerful voice to kind of, you know, and that's what we kind of come away with. But actually, most of the people back then wouldn't have cared that much. And they didn't, you know, have a notion of uh, perhaps homosexuality. It was, it's kind of interesting. And then, and then people might go, oh, what's Neil talking about? And then you go, oh, go look it up. This, mm. we've, we've introduced you to the, go get the book. We've introduced you to some stuff. 
that's interesting uh, information, just bite-sized. And then we've opened a door for you to kind of walk through and go in and maybe research or find other books, you know, um, and that's the beauty of what, what I think what we have. Mm. Um, yeah. But also, I mean, you, you don't make this explicit, but like with your cameos by um, Bush and Trump at the end, you know, if one was to drill down into some of the more horrific right-wing churches that are still operating in America, they're still using a lot of that medieval language, you know, today. So in some respects, that sort of stuff hasn't changed. And that's why it's great, you know, that a, a book like this exists, um, you know, for yeah. modern audiences that they could see that unfortunately, in a lot of ways, people haven't changed in a thousand years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm not trying to bash religious people personally, but I think religions personally, the religions, not the people who do the religion, um, perhaps do have a lot of outmoded ideas. Um, and I feel like, so this is why I hesitated, I feel like um, there's a movement more towards right conservatism when it comes to people getting more and more into their religions. Um, and I think that's just something to be careful of uh, and aware of. And uh, I, I do think there's, I mean, this is uh, an incredible time that we're going through right now because um, we are going through, we're seeing a lot of interesting things like anti-vaccination propaganda coming out. Um, and I think some of that comes from more the right uh, side of political spectrum. And I think there's something about engaging Chris. I'm, I'm being very careful because I don't want to offend anyone. No, sure. <laughs> but uh, if I was to, to be honest, uh, I think there needs to be more critical, critical engagement um, about both science and actually the past. Mm. Um, we, we do need to know what, what went on. We can't ignore it. So there's a, a thing going on at the moment with um, using the word critical race theory, in, I think particularly in America, as a, like a cudgel. So they don't want to know about any, any black history. They think it's being taught in schools when it's not, and they're kind of trying to say it is. And it's, it's an academic um, framework that is taught within universities, but it's become this kind of buzzword. Um, so, and in a way it's like, well, uh, we don't want to know about the, we don't want to know about the, the recent past where there was oppression because we feel like we're being blamed, you know, and that's not, not at all. It's, it's like, no, you need to know about this stuff that happened in the past so you don't perpetuate it. And the fact that you're trying to suppress it and also give misinformation about it and portray it in a way that isn't actually so is rather problematic. If I'm honest, so um, and and that's uh, that's why we need to know about history. I mean, like if that's a classic example of people going putting sticking their fingers in their ears and putting the headphones over their fingers <laughs> on top and going la la la, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then and I, I don't mean, know if that's yeah. But then I mean, you know, again, you mentioned uh, anti-vaxxers, and uh, yet again, there's kind of another parallel in your book where you have. A couple of images about people um, spreading disinformation about preventing themselves from getting the plague. You know, one panel shows a load of kind of innocent people being burned, and another panel shows them kind of self-flagellating again. You know, misinformation, yeah. 
uh, versus medicine. So unfortunately, yet again, it's another example of medievalism that unfortunately hasn't changed in the modern day. You know? Yeah, people voting against their best interests in a way, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and also like trying to find um, maybe alternative options when there's the option staring right in front of you, you know? Um, yeah, there's, there, I mean, but this is, this is, uh, that, that, that hasn't changed, I think, from the past. I think there's always going to be people who, who want to bury them, their heads in the sand and, um, and want to just kind of listen to what they want to lis listen to. So, um, yeah, so, so sometimes you just got to stick your head out of the sand. Um, I, I think, every, I, and, you know, I, I'm probably guilty of all of this stuff to a certain degree anyway. I think we all, I think generally we all are. Um, but I'm aware that I could be in my own echo chamber. So um, I, I will try to look out occasionally and sort of, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm aware that there will be other opinions that my way isn't the way, you know, and um, that's felt quite dangerous to kind of think that way. Yeah. Indeed. Just not enough people know the power of a comic like Mouse, you know, mm -hmm. uh, what it can do. Uh, yeah and so um but but there are but but there are more allies than there ever were i think before within uh the the academy yeah. um because uh, i i've got a nice relationship with a, a nice um doctor in um in bergen so we've, we, we 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 made a little comic uh because he's interested in comic pedagogy so it's like oh okay anything that anything that gets me drawing um and anything that gets me drawing comics i'm kind of i i want to do so um, I approached organisations like Hope Not Hate as well, so got uh, got some conversations going with them that I might be able to do something which will, you know, be speak to the kind of their sort of topic of anti-racism and, you know, I, I don't know, like, I just want to do things that are, are A, comic-based, uh, maybe fun, uh, but also maybe, you know, got a, a bit of an activist kind of slant or educationalist slant. So, yeah, I don't know if I've, uh, yeah. And then try to live, a, have a living as well, you know, because yeah. my main, I, I, I don't do comics or illustration full time. I just can't afford to and get paid enough. Um, that's that's the other thing. It's like getting, you know, like I'm, I'm in my mid forties now, you know, and it's, for me, it's been a long, a long journey to get even to this point i know i know it takes a long people a long time but it feels like it's taking i'm still not there and i want to get there i don't want to do more when you were talking about uh you know drawing that medieval style when they didn't have a sense of perspective and so kind of aping the wrong perspective on the page there's i got a picture of three people uh it's just really obvious what's going on mm. um when it happens yeah here we go yeah so i don't know if you can see this page here it's page okay. number 96 mm -hmm. so it, on page number 96 um i i keep the base of the buildings level i i, I described it but i don't think it um my description does it justice but you can see I, i've got a lot of parallel stuff happening but mm. with the roofs i put the roofs deliberately in the wrong perspective um in some instances and not in others so it just kind of really uh ignores perspective but it, it's a little bit of that trick that most of the other lines kind of almost pseudo go into the distance but you keep the base flat and uh, i've noticed that a lot but 
the thing is that when you I, i'm aware i'm keeping you so i don't i, I don't want, I, I don't want to just tell me to shut up no, no, <laughs> <laughs> if i if i'm keeping you at all but um yeah yeah anyway so yeah. I it's mean, interesting yeah, I, I think yeah. i think architecture is interesting yeah and well and also i mean perception is such a fascinating subject i mean it's obviously completely speculation in terms of modern science the way that people perceive things in the past but i'd love to find a scientist if anyone's doing any research into this to whether there was just a moment i mean you can't imagine that people didn't see things in perspective before a certain date but i i heard this amazing program on radio four a couple of months ago that was saying we're not saying that people were colorblind before 500 bc however if you read uh, Homer, there isn't a single reference to the word blue. He, yes. talks, he talks about wine-colored skies and wine-colored seas. And clearly you don't have blue wine. And yes, occasionally the sky is purple at sunset and sunrise, but it's not always purple. So what's going on there? You know, so- it Could have been colorblind, right? Is did, that the did, thing? Did, did humanity only develop the ability to see the color blue two and a half thousand years ago? I don't know, but that's that's a possible reading of that research. So I'd love to talk to a scientist who's looking into that kind of yeah. thing. I mean, things like, you know, when when Victorian um, cinema goers in the 1890s ran out of a cinema. I mean, it's maybe apocryphal, but supposedly ran out of a cinema when yeah. an image of tr a train was showing that's coming towards them. They ran out of the room because they thought it was real. Was that a lack of depth perception? I mean, people don't talk about cinema being flickery back then, but it was 16 frames a second. And we can't watch that now without it seeming flickery. I mean, have our yeah. eyes adapted to modernity over the last 3,000 words? I mean, I'd love 3,000 years. I'd love to talk to a scientist, about, a scientist about the possibility of that, that we have literally evolved in terms of perception. Yeah, isn't it? So that just, yeah, going back to the green thing. Yeah. Um, it wasn't it in the past that there was no that blues are very modern concept that blues were considered part of the green spectrum it's possible and yeah that, I, I don't really know but. was it is there an italian word for like that kind of that orangey so like leonardo da vinci is it the sfumato sky i don't know it's that orange kind of yeah like again um and there's also like if you look back at horror movies and how people were scared in the 50s at things that we just kind of look and go oh, that's just a man in a suit but it, it there's this cultural conditioning um that we we're we're aware of uh, and um you, you could um look at frame rates in fit like so i teach motion graphics so one of the things i teach people is that uh, all about what a frame rate is frames per second you know how much a second can get chunked up into and uh, people get often very married to a certain kind of frame rate and you just like film film stuff looks like film because it's shot at 24 frames per second but uh if you uh i remember like when my um time team edit uh directors was like oh well there's this change now we, we're not gonna we're not gonna be progressive film things progressive we're gonna still want it to look like video so we're gonna film in interlaced so they, they kind of like harping back to this older technology, which looked more video in terms of look, but it, it's actually, there's not much between it. And I was like looking and going, I don't see the difference. Um, but I think it's conditioning. Um, and and I was teaching, uh, I usually 99.99% uh, of my students that I ever teach are um, 
as I teach after effects are uh, adults. And I had a 15 year old girl uh, two weeks ago um, as being part of my two day course uh, intro uh, intermediate into after effects. So she was like spent all her time uh learning the program and she got up to a place like, like for four months just cramming looking at all this content online she got up to a really good level where she could be quite a good professional um and uh we're, i was talking to her uh, and she's uh, saying talking to her oh this is maybe you know a good way for you to get into 3d if that's something you're interested in um and um uh, and we started talking about 3d and how we look at the world because she said i'm a very visual person uh, and I said, yeah, yeah, me too, me too. And uh, she said, uh, yeah, I really understand a lot about the 3D because I play a lot of computer games. So for her, she's played so many computer games as well. Her yeah. understanding of three-dimensionality and what makes up the 3D world was probably comparable. And I'm saying, yeah, I don't play computer games at all. I know what you're talking about, um, but I actually understand uh, perspective and a lot of stuff like that because I, I did graphic, uh, I not graphic design, I did um, technical drawing at school because that's what we did. So, you know, uh, with uh, all the different kind of isometric projections and this, that and the other, and, you know, using a T-square and a set square. Uh, and it's like, well, we both learn a similar kind of thing, but in a diff very different kind of way. Um, and it's, it's about um, getting your mind to engage in that kind of way. So if there was none of that, um, or it wasn't, accessible for maybe monks in the monastery then um maybe they're just kind of making stuff up and then a lot of stuff might be symbolic and they're just surrounded by other artists doing similar things so uh, it's kind of in, it, it is kind of interesting it's about what you're exposed to and uh, how your brain is augmented uh, once you learn about perspective there's almost like no going back it's like a veil has been lifted that you can never put back you'll never see things in the same way and i do teach people drawing and I've taught them how to draw a car from a box. Yeah. So where you break a box down, you refine it more and more into a car. And um, and I've had people like, oh, I went to art school. No one ever taught me perspective. And I'm like, yeah. OK, um, but yeah, uh, now now, you know, now, you know. And, and I think that just then you will just look at the world in a whole different kind of way. Imagine learning a, a perspective is a fundamental. It's like a building building brick. If you look at the um, uh, classical stuff, the, you know, where people were Romans and the Greeks making these incredible statues, they must have had an understanding of perspective and form. And so mm. it's not it's not like the knowledge wasn't wasn't there. I think it kind of probably was, but mm. um, it just wasn't on the surface. Maybe some of the people who were doing the artwork, or a lot of the people doing the artwork weren't exposed to it. And that painters had seemed to have more skill than um, illuminators, I think. Mm. So I, I don't these are my these are my conjectures just by looking at the artwork. So there's uh, there's no there's 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 no academic stuff for me going on, mm. but lots of kind of speculation, but like interested speculation based on my my art stuff, you know. Indeed. Cool. But thank you so much for the opportunity. Shit. <laughs> Take care. Take care, Alex. The Middle Ages, a graphic history illustrated by Neil Max Emanuel and written by Eleanor Janiger, is available now from all good bookshops and is the latest addition to the great catalogue of graphic guides published by Icon Books, with such titles as Introducing Quantum Theory, illustrated by Oscar Zarate, Feminism, a Graphic Guide, illustrated by Jem Milton and Judy Groves, 
as well as Gender, a graphic guide, and Queer, a graphic history, both illustrated by Jules Scheel and written by Meg John Barker, my interview with whom you can find on another episode of Panel Borders, downloadable from our blog, www.panelborders.wordpress.com. Icon Books can be found at iconbooks.com, and Neil Max Emanuel's website is neneecreative.com. That's N-E-E-N-E-E creative.com. The themes of comics and nostalgia, which have filtered throughout today's episode, can also be found in a number of exhibitions taking place across London. Though, of course, as COVID restrictions continue, you may want to think about making any trips into the big smoke. At Somerset House, just off Waterloo Bridge, they have an exhibition on the Beano called The Art of Breaking the Rules, which runs until the 6th of March. And alongside classic art from the comic, there's modern responses to the renowned British periodical from the likes of Sarah Lucas, Frank Sidebottom, Martin Creed and cartoonist Martin Rosen. If you're nervous about booking tickets to this show, Somerset House will offer refunds or exchanges for different dates should any changes to government guidelines about COVID take place over the next few weeks. You can find more info about the Beano exhibition by going to somersethouse.org.uk. At Tate Britain on Millbank, they currently have the exhibition Hogarth and Europe on display until the 20th of March. Hogarth is considered to be a pioneer of the comic book format, even if his paintings and etchings don't immediately look like. However, sequential art, as found in such displays as Marriage à la Mode and The Rate's Progress, are early examples of stories told in words and pictures, and as such, Hogarth is considered to be one of the pioneers of the medium. Hogarth in Europe includes over 60 of his works, alongside images by his international peers, including Pietro Longhi, Jean Simeon Chardin, and Cornelius Troost. For more information about the exhibition and to book tickets, please go to tate.org.uk. Panel Borders was recorded, edited, and introduced by Alex Fitch, and is a Panel Borders production. You can find all 500 previous episodes on our blog, www.panelborders.wordpress.com, and we'll be back on the first Wednesday in January. Until then, thanks for tuning in to the numerous shows I've presented in 2021, and hope you have a fantastic Christmas and a very happy new year. Thanks for listening. This program has been brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you liked what you heard and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm.